Welcome to the Popular Pig Podcast, a convenient place where you can stay up to date on what's popular in the swine industry. By listening to Popular Pig, you will receive invaluable information on the latest trends, news, and research from various experts who guide the global pork industry. Popular Pig is brought to you by Swine Tech, the award-winning creators of Smart Guard and Pig Flow. To learn how Pig Flow can help you streamline your workforce and reduce piglet and sow deaths, visit swinetechnologies.com. Popular Pig is also made possible by Johnsonville Foods, Hypor Genetics, Brenneman Pork, Fibro Animal Health, Swine Robotics, Innovative Heating, and PigEquipment.com. Brought to you by American Resources. Welcome to the Popular Pig Podcast. My name is Matthew Rota, your host for today's episode. Today, Jeff Kaiser is joining us to talk about the optimal first mating of gilts. How are you doing today, Jeff? Doing great, Matthew. It's great to have you on the podcast. I'd love for you to start off just by telling us a little about your background. How did you get involved with the pork industry and what do you do today? Well, I've got about a 40-year work experience career in the pork industry. Started out um, in the eastern Iowa, managing and part owner of a a small sow operation. Um, From there, I got a chance to go to work with Dr. Al Lehman and the swine graphics team for for a few years. Um, after that, I got the itch to get into the corporate world. And I spent some time with um, a couple of large integrated producers throughout the southern and, and southwestern uh, part of the country. Um, wound up um, going to venture back home. So I got to work for a couple of vet clinics, kind of as a director of their management services over about 25, 35,000 sows for over a 20 year span. And then um, had one more chance to go work in a large system. Over in Illinois, I was a senior production manager over about 65,000 sows and um, did a little bit of everything between multiplication, commercial sow, commercial grow finish, records, consulting, business development, and and to work with about every genetic company out there. So um, about a year and a half ago, I had the opportunity to join Fast Genetics as their technical service person. And um, that's my current role and um, really enjoy working with the Fast Genetics team. That's great. You've been everywhere. Yeah, I've got a, a wide um, uh, amount of experience and done a little bit of everything. So at this point in my career, kind of trying to share those experiences and help people optimize their, their farm's production. So as many people as you know in the industry, what is something unique about yourself most people do not know? Um, earlier in my career, I actually got uh, my pilot's license and Flew an airplane for a few years when I was working with Dr. Lehman at, at Swine Graphics. Oh, really? Like a what kind of airplane? Um, just a, a warrior, a smaller plane, single engine, um, just a VFR pilot, and um, enjoyed that for a while. And then all of a sudden, cell phones came online, and you could get a lot of work done driving down the road on the phone. Gotcha. So you, you can change all that then? Yes. Huh. Well, today's topic about gilts. Now, gilts have most recently been considered the redheaded stepchild is what I've been hearing it called in a lot of meetings lately. So I'm I'm really excited to talk about optimal first mating of gilts. And I'd like for you to start off by talking about what has changed in the last five years around the optimal timing of mating gilts. Well, one of the biggest things that's changed for producers on the optimal first mating of gilts is that the genetic companies that provide the breeding stock continue to make advances. And one of the key advances 
improvements that all genetic companies are are usually making is faster growth rates. And as animals, including um, gilts, grow faster, that if producers don't adapt with that, then they're not really hitting the optimum time to be mating their animals. And um, that's been one of the biggest things that producers, I think, um, may not be keeping abreast with in their breeding programs. So does that really lead into why, I mean, why can't they focus on age of gilts when they look at first matings? Well, it's exactly why they can't just stay focused on on age of gilts. So in the past, you know, you go back five to 10 years ago, it's pretty common for most breeding stock companies to be saying somewhere between 215 to 235 days of age is kind of the optimal time to breed a gilt. And as animals continue to grow faster, we all default kind of to a targeted body weight range and 300 to 350 pounds. And most most companies um, are get able to reach that, that weight range two to three weeks quicker than they did five to seven years ago. And a producer has to adapt with that. Otherwise, they're going to wind up breeding gilts that are too big. And that's one of the things that's really got solid data on, regardless of where you're at in the pig industry, is that breeding gilts that are way too big is really counterproductive. It, it They just don't perform well in their first litter. They don't stay in the herd well and have good lifetime productivity, much higher maintenance costs and issues. So being able to adapt to what's happening with your genetic improvements, I think, is critical for better gilt productivity. So what does then happen when uh, gilts are married or mated too big in body weight? Well, what happens is that if they're bred too big, then usually that animal is going to take more feed for her general maintenance. When she comes in to feral her first litter, she's oversized. She usually has some more difficulties in the birthing process. She usually doesn't eat as well post-farrowing and lactation. So she doesn't create as much milk get as, as good a, a wean weight on the piglets that she's raising. Um, often she doesn't cycle back as timely, post weaning the first time. And then just being bigger and heavier always carries more costs and more risks for falling out and not staying in the herd. So she usually doesn't stay in the herd as long. And what people see is anywhere from five to seven pigs, lower lifetime productivity because of, because of those things. So does... I'm imagining they're somewhat linked, if not completely linked here, but age. Yeah, so there, the age there of is gilts. Very good, very good parallels that there's three factors that all producers look at when it, when they think about the timing of mating gilts. It's the body weight of the animal herself. It's the number of estrocycles cycles that she's had prior to mating. And then the age. And when we look at those things, you have to kind of keep a balance in there. But what's happening is that Age is becoming less significant of a factor, and body weight and estrus cycles are really driving where people are going. Um, as we mentioned, getting 300 pounds is kind of the, the key mark to start breeding gilts. Um, the gilt reach in puberty, it's really well known that if you breed a gilt at least on her second estrus cycle, that she'll have a, a likely a half big more per litter. And if you hit those two metrics, she's big enough, you've got good boar exposure, you got estrus 
starting, she reaches puberty. And if she's at least 200 days of age, it's a green light to get her bread. Where conversely, if people were saying, well, I'm going to wait until she's 210, 220 days of age, and maybe be a little slower at getting estrus started or let her get a little bit bigger, they usually get behind the eight ball and just never catch up. One thing we're going to talk about here is how we, for producers who are off track with their Giving Maiden program, how they can get back on track. But before we get there, what I'd like to focus on is the off track portion of that. What are the things that get a guilt mating program off track? Well, there's several of them. I mean, the first one is a farm goes through some kind of a disease break and they wind up having to incur all the things that, that happen when animals get sick causes lower fertility and just general um, poor reproductive performance. Then usually the goals along with that disease break is there's usually an, an intervention in the normal timing of bringing gilts into the farm. Sometimes you stop bringing gilts in and close the herd. Sometimes you push some in sooner to help close the herd. So those things go along with disease outbreak. It's usually an interruption in normal gilt flow. Um, some of the other things that get you off track is the seasonality of things going through a farm when it's you know, hot weather and, and you go through some of those type of seasonal issues. And then sometimes different economic things drive different um, desires for a producer on, on maintaining certain replacement rates or, or slowing them down based upon market conditions. And then sometimes, you know, labor comes a factor also on how well people keep up with their guilt management, whether it's in the GDU barn or early in the breeding area. So all those things can um, cause a producer to get off track with their guilt program. So once it, once we identify it's off track, now we got to get it on track. What are some strategies for producers to get it back on track? Well, one of the, the most important things that, you know, a lot of, uh, the folks that I work around with is that we want to get the guilt program on schedule. And if it goes off schedule, the, the thing we have to do is quickly get back on schedule. So there's a variety of strategies people can, can utilize there. If you work backwards from your target age, weight, and estrus cycle and breeding, then you can, can do some different things. Sometimes you can manipulate weaning style flow. Um, you can maybe skip parity one animals and breed gilts um, quicker if you're behind and gotten too big and too old on them. If you're a little bit younger or smaller on gilts being bred, you can kind of push in the clutch a little bit on culling and, and not cull as aggressively. Um, both those things are important to be able to plan ahead so you know what you're doing. And then, you know, when you sit back, one of the biggest things with gilt management is continuing to take a long-term view on replacement rates, purchasing frequency of gilts coming in so you can still acclimate them properly in, into the herd. So usually a combination of those strategies is involved. And if you're routinely in a certain um, offset of, of target, then sometimes what we need to do is just sit back and evaluate the whole gilt program working our way backwards from what's happening at breeding um, based on the size and the age and the number of estrocycles. cycles. And what we found is with people that uh, will focus too much on age instead of weight and estrostats, 
that sometimes we just got to pick up the whole guilt program and maybe move it ahead a week or potentially two weeks. And what you just do there is you work backwards from how big they're going to be when we breed them. Then you work with your veterinarian on my pre-breeding vaccinations. Look at the time in isolation. When you start more exposure to those gilts, then you work with your genetic company on on what size and age and what frequency we're buying gilts. And you just kind of move the whole program the direction you need. And that's probably been one of the most common things that people have done here in the last uh, year is they just sit back and look at their whole program and they, they can't just shift it at the, the end, kind of the tail before breeding. They have to pick up the whole thing and move it a little bit. And that's been very, very beneficial for people. It's not been very costly. It's just a matter of getting things on track. And what people have found by doing that, they've gotten out of some of those those areas where they're breeding gilts that are too big or they're not getting you know good enough boar exposure. So she's not at the right estrus timing prior to mating. So when we look at breeding gilts, or just breeding in general, we can expand it too if we need to. What are some of the unpopular opinions or beliefs within the industry, around the industry, in regards to where we're going? Are there unpopular opinions? Well, so anyone that's been in the industry very long has has, has grown up thinking that if I breed my gilts too young, then they're going to have problems with being mature enough to get pregnant and have that first litter of pig. And there is at some point a cliff there where maybe you can get too young. But what we've what we've learned is that if that cliff was maybe perceived to be at 220 days, we can at least drop that down closer to 200 days with no issues at all. Um, there's another kind of a, a perception out there. If gilts get too big, well, then I'm just going to reduce the amount of feed I give to them um, prior to mating because I don't want to keep letting them get bigger and fatter. And when people do that, what's happening is they're directly impacting the total born on that gilt in her first litter. Because when a gilt is maturing and starting to come into estrus and getting ready to breed, she's doing three things. She's growing for skeletal development. She's hormonally starting to um, come into estrus cycles and reaching puberty. And then the third part of that, what most producers don't think about, She's also in the process right then prior to breeding of trading eggs to be fertilized with semen. And what we want to do is we want to maintain what's called a positive nutritional balance so she can do all three of those things and have enough feed to do all three of those things optimally. And if a producer overreacts because he's got gilts too big and restricts or limits feed to that gilt, it can affect how well she cycles and can surely affect her total born level. So those are those are a couple common ones that that we have to work around on guilt programs. Mm-hmm. And um you know it's kind of um sneaks up on people and they don't realize that it's happening. So what about swine genetics as a whole? Well, so I work for fast genetics. So yep. um as a as an industry with genetics, each each company is driven produce good quality meat products for the consumer. We want to be efficient with how the animals grow and convert that 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 feed into to meat. In a reproductive standpoint, we want to make sure we got an animal that's 
solid uh, on her legs, that has good good retention rates, good survivability rate, um, has got the temperament that works, whether it's in created or pen gestation. And there's a variety of, of the strengths and weaknesses of different genetic companies out there. Some are, are much more geared to some of those carcass traits, and they've had to give up some reproductive performance or some robustness of their animals where it's easier to keep them alive, both in the sow herd or in the, the grow finish standpoint. So, you know, what you're looking for in a genetic supplier is you want a well-balanced approach to all the reproductive and, and grow finish and carcass traits. And you want to avoid someone that's chasing way too hard, something like total born or chasing um, back fat or feed conversion on the grow finish side. And if you keep all those things balanced, you may not have a singular trait that you just excel in, but you keep the whole portfolio and it allow, allows you to create more grade A pigs that are making it to the packing plant, um, a more productive sow herd that animals stay in the herd longer, and you can wean as many or more pigs at a larger weight. So, you know, by and large, the balance of all those things is what's important with a genetic supplier. And um, I think that's the number one factor that producers should be looking for. When you talk to producers, what are some of the bigger things that they're most interested headed into 2022? Well, as we look at 2022, people were you know, a little bit uncertain in some of the things that's happening politically, like in California or Massachusetts with Prop 3 and Prop 12. And they're thinking it may be inevitable. Some of those standards are going to get down to their level and at the barn here in the next five years. So they're really looking for a robustness and retention of animals in the breeding herd, an animal that does well in pen gestation, as well as created gestation. The other factor the producers are looking at is that labor issues continue to be ongoing. So they're wanting to make sure they're working with uh, an animal, whether it's in the sow farm or in the grow finish. It's pretty easy for their staff to take care of because they may not have as many employees as they used to. So they don't want to have to do a bunch of extra things just for normal production. So those will be two of the key drivers up front. The, the third one is the ongoing concerns about disease risks with African swine fever and the normal ones we face with PERS and PED. So they want to make sure that you've got a good, healthy source of, of genetics and gilts coming into your farm and a good biosecure um, program being implemented on their sites to keep the risk of disease entering their farm as low as possible. Those would be probably the top three that I think most producers would would uh, come up with. So you brought up Prop 12 and open pen gestation. What are the traits that you look at most closely when it comes to a created animal versus a penned animal? Well, when we look at the traits of your breeding stock, you have to have an animal that's docile, that She's got the temperament that she can get along with other animals in the same pen. She also has to have the physical structure to her that she's solid on her legs and solid on her feet where she's going to be moving around. Sometimes she'll she'll be in a pen at different times when things are happening, like she's coming into estrus or she's you know got a full belly of pigs on her. So she needs to be really solid on her feet. So I think temperament robustness, solid structure are very, very, very critical. 
in you know some animals you know and different different genetic backgrounds or tilted more towards you know less fat you know want to really push certain things like photoborn or their contribution to the low low fee conversions and those kind of things and when those things were done those animals aren't quite as robust in a pen environment as as other animals are and that's things that people are reevaluating with their genetic suppliers as we speak so i know it's not easy in any way when it comes to identifying traits and trying to balance everything because there's so much going on there but let's say we want a more docile sow the more docile the sow there has to be something you're giving up otherwise we'd be probably flying towards docile animals what do you give up when you get a more docile robust sow well i don't know that it's true um matthew that you get you're going to give up much of anything else i think it just goes into your ongoing genetic selection of the animals that you're working with. You don't want an animal that's quite as high strung or quite as hyper. Um, so I, I think what you what you have to do is those have to be some characteristics that the geneticists factor in um, phenotypically and temperament, uh, mobility. You know, there's all kinds of technology out there now with cameras and stuff to look at how animals can walk from a leg structure and a mobility standpoint. There's also cameras that can monitor how animals get along um, when they're in a pen environment that will be a bigger part of some of the genetic selection going forward. So one really cool thing about the swine industry that I don't know if it necessarily gets conveyed well to the general public, but we talk about welfare quite often. With what you're describing, our industry, we're focused on the welfare of the animal before she even exists, before she's even there we are focusing on the traits that are going to promote the best welfare for her her offspring for each other is that correct that's an absolute fact you know you can have all kinds of characteristics that you focus on but survivability is is one of the most most important attributes to have um can she survive in different environments as a sow and can her offspring survive in different environments as she's growing them, that pig's growing the market? So that robustness, that docile temperament, those things are absolutely part of part of a genetic program that happens way, way upstream before a producer gets a guild or sees a pig on feed. How do you think conveying the science and, and the focus on welfare as a ge- from the genetic side is something that would be valuable to to consumers, or do you think you're getting too in the weeds? Well, I think we, we can always simplify messages and we can always state that, hey, this is part of what we do. You know, the PQA programs do a good job with some of those things. You know, a lot of times those things tend to get in the weeds and tend not to be of interest to the casual consumer. So I think we just have to come out and say, hey, this is something that we're focusing on. This is what what we do behind the scenes to ensure we're meeting those characteristics and traits. And we're going to have to keep it really simple. I think the attention span of most consumers is is not long enough to get into a whole lot of science. We're going to have to package it in a way that we can make it a quick soundbite and that people will retain that information. For sure. 
Well, as we wrap things up here, I'd love for you to share a golden nugget, a bit of wisdom from your life for listeners that uh, you'd like to leave behind. Well, I think one of the, the, the things that you're referring to is kind of lessons learned. And with being in the swine industry for about 40 years now and working with a lot of really, really brilliant technical people from veterinarians and nutritionists on the way down to some excellent um, pigmanship type folks in the barns and a, and a lot of really strong owner producers also. I think one of the things is that we, we just got to continue to um, adapt, be resilient when we get a curveball thrown at us. We have to be able to deal with change whether it's change that comes about politically or market condition wise, dealing with health or disease challenges. So I think we just got to continue to be resilient. And, you know, there's always new ideas that come about, new technology for sure is coming about. So I think being resilient, um, being adaptable to change is the biggest nugget that regardless where you're at in your career or what your system is. And I think from there, one of the things that we can all do as producers is do a much better job of sharing we, with each other when we have successes um, to help help kind of enable our peers to be successful also. At the same time, don't be afraid to, to share, hey, this is what I tried. It didn't work. I need to avoid, you know, whether it's technology or a practice or dealt with a, an issue. And I think through COVID, that went really well across our industry is being able to share those kind of things. So I think being resilient, being willing to adapt, um, not be afraid of change. Then I think keeping thinking of your peers as an industry and share your successes and, and your failures to help everybody get better and continue to be successful in providing one of the best protein products that's consumed across the world. That would probably be my, my recommendation to leave leave with Matthew. Well said. And thank you, Jeff, for joining us on the Popular Pig Podcast. It's been a pleasure to have you as a guest, and I appreciate you taking the time. You're welcome. Thank you for joining us on this episode of Popular Pig. We aspire to learn and grow together through the experience and wisdom shared by our esteemed guests. If you enjoyed this episode, please share it with your friends and colleagues within the swine industry. For more information, please go to popularpig.com to receive updates when new episodes are available. Popular Pig is brought to you by SwineTech, the award-winning creators of SmartGuard and PigFlow. To learn how PigFlow can help you streamline your workforce and reduce piglet and sow deaths, visit swinetechnologies.com. <laughs>